بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه إمام عبد الله الحداد may Allah have mercy on him is considered the reviver of the 12th Islamic century his teachings have a profound impact in reaching the heart such that he was called Haddad al-Qulub the heartsmith in this series we engage in brief readings from his various works and discuss their wisdom and impact on our lives. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Afdal as-salam wa tamu taslim. Ala Sayyidina wa Mawlana Muhammadan wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam ajma'een. Alhamdulillah. Welcome to our next episode of the Heartsmith Podcast. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala benefit us in it from these blessed works of the great Imam Abdullah bin Ali al-Haddad radiallahu ta'ala anhu wa nafa'ana bih. This is a podcast where in which that we that study short passages of some of the seminal and very blessed texts of Imam Haddad and hopefully benefit from and offer insights on many of their meanings and how to apply them in our everyday lives, inshallah ta'ala. Um, and I just wanted uh, perhaps to, uh, Amjad, just to say a few words. We're about to, uh, this particular podcast is uh, right at, uh, we're about to have Rajab enter. And um, perhaps it's going to be tomorrow or that at latest, inshallah ta'ala, Thursday. So is there any advice uh, for your brothers and sisters that you would have on how to prepare for this month and what are some of the things that we should be doing in it? No. Uh, I just read something earlier today on how to prepare best for Rajab and take advantage of the month of Rajab. One thing to really take into consideration is that the next three months are very important and very special in the life of any believer, the sacred month of Rajab, which is a holy month, and followed by the blessed month of Sha'ban, leading up to the most blessed month of Ramadan, uh, that we take advantage of this time and begin our preparations for Ramadan from now. Uh, because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in the month of Rajab, he would say, Allahumma barik lana fi Rajab wa Sha'ban wa balighna Ramadan. O Allah, bless us in Rajab and Sha'ban and allow us to reach Ramadan. So connecting those those three months together. And one of the, the things that scholars recommend the most in the month of Rajab is repentance. Is really cleaning our slate, turning over a new leaf, uh, and preparing ourselves really for the blessings that are going to come in the month of Ramadan. And one of the greatest ways to prepare for that, the first step is really uh, repentance. So turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring our hearts back to life, asking Allah to forgive our sins, trying to redress wrongs, uh, and focus on having excellence in our fara'id, the five daily prayers, avoiding things that are haram, really uh, doing what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to do, but also doing it very well, doing it with excellence uh, and turning to Allah and asking him for tawfiq and really uh, an abundant portion of saying astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah uh, every day, but particularly in these days leading to Ramadan. Yeah, I remember uh, early on after conversion, um, I think I became Muslim in the month of Imadid uh, Ula, if I'm not mistaken. And um, a few months after that, Ramadan came in. And I had never experienced anything like that in my life. 
you know, Salat al-Tarawih, we have so many people praying these blessed supererogatory prayers after Salat al-Isha. And they had a, a Qadi come from Egypt, Sheikh Muhammad Jibril, with this incredibly beautiful recitation. Events around it, breaking the fast, and then in the last 10 days, people are coming uh, to uh, perform uh, Hajjud. And at that time, I, I was still learning the Arabic uh, letters. So I remember I did my first khatam in English of the Abdullah Yusuf Ali translation and um, <clears throat> in that blessed month. But it just really touched me because it wasn't something I'd ever experienced for. So many people in the masjid it, you know, for so long. Um, and then I, I do remember other good experiences like the two Eids and so forth. Uh, but unfortunately in a place like America, as great as we experience the time of Ramadan, one of the things when you travel overseas that you, you realize it's it's Ramadan, it's the two Eids, but it's also a number of other blessed occasions throughout the year. And I just think it's just so important, some of the things that you mentioned, that we really bring that to life in our own selves, in our families, <coughs> in our local communities. For those that are open to it, um, really commemorating and celebrating and experiencing the blessed times of the year, the blessed times of the week, and so forth, and how that can really help us uh, bring you know Islam to life in these lands. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely, Subhanallah. You know that was that was my experience when I went to Yemen. I arrived like a few days before Laylatul Isra and Miraj in the month of Rajab. I, you know, Alhamdulillah, like my parents, they they did their best, but I think at that time I didn't really know what Rajab was. Uh, I didn't know Laylat al-Isra and Mi'raj. And just the fact that every month, every, you know, so often there was something really special. It also helps the nafs. Like there's a tanawar. There's like a variety. Everything has a special flavor, a different way of really trying to draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's invigorating. Like you feel alive in the moment. And it's beautiful. So I, inshallah, I would love, you know, as you said, that it'll be a means of people really seeing the beauty of Islam. Mm -hmm. Inshallah. Inshallah. So the first book that we're going to read from is Anasayah Adinia, the Councils of Religion. Imam Hadad says, "May Allah Taala have mercy upon him and benefit us through him." Wa'alam and the zakata la tajibu illa fi malin maqsus. So we're on page 81 of the translation. I'm sorry, page 148 of the Arabic. And know that zakat is obligatory on certain specified things. Which are a nisab, minimum amount required for the zakat to be due, in gold or silver, mercantile goods, grains and fruits, and certain domestic animals. It becomes due at a specified time, which is once a year for monies, mercantile goods and animals, and at the time they are reaped for crops and fruits. The obligatory amount is specified. At a quarter of a tenth, 2.5%, for monies and commerce. Mm -hmm. 
uh, a tenth, so 10% for grains and fruits that are watered without appliances, and half the tenth, 5%, for those that are watered with the help of appliances. And uh, what he means by appliances is that if you have some type of irrigation system, whether it be sprinklers or whatever it might be, uh, so look at the, the mercy of the shirah. If you're investing money in to uh-huh. it, somehow water the crops in some fashion, whether it be uh, through modern-day sprinkling systems or in previous days when they used to channel water and mm-hmm. uh, find ways of watering it, then at that point, point that it's a less amount that you have to pay. Amazing. As for animals, these are specified to be camels, cattle, sheep, and goats. There are many details of relevance here. The place to look for them is in the books of fiqh. He who owns any of the above-mentioned things is obliged to acquire sufficient knowledge to be able to pay out his zakat. He must know the nisab the amount to be given away, the deserving recipients, and so on. So uh, We're reading this now. I remember when we first started reading uh, this book in the uh, two session two months ago, we were about to have our retreat on Zakat. And um, alhamdulillah, I feel that the retreat went really well from the barakah of those people present, the barakah of the spending time in the works of Imam Ghazali. And when we read books like these, we're as if we're reading abridgments of the works of Imam Ghazali. Books of Muhammad, Imam al-Haddad are very Ghazalian in the sense of how he presents material. And then there's this added benefit of that conciseness in him, that really pointing out to the things that are so important from this incredible Basira and that spiritual insight that Allah Ta'ala gave him. And um, I really encourage those who are listening. I myself actually want to go back and listen to him, not because we were the ones presenting the material, but it was a time that we spent that studying this very important topic. And I remember uh, the retreat was really eye-opening for all of us, even our own selves, and how zakat is almost like this forgotten pillar and how we need to restore to its place of centrality and just first and foremost understand how important zakat is and that the goal that it's supposed to serve, we sometimes think exteriorly. Yes, of course, in relation to the social benefits of people fulfilling it in its that legal way, but also for you. Mm-hmm. And Imam Ghazali, remember, went into those details and the etiquettes of uh, that giving the zakat and everything that it helps you to do and so forth. And I remember that first etiquette was so profound about love and how he went into that whole detail of the world mm-hmm. and what you're inclined towards, how this starts to sever that mm-hmm. you know, attachment. So um, I highly encourage those listening to Go back and, and review those. They, I believe, they're all accessible online now, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so. Our YouTube page and <coughs> also will be available on as a podcast if it isn't already, but very soon, inshallah. And just that uh, one of the beautiful things is that uh, whenever a person is in love, there has to be a way to prove your love. So I was saying, that, you know, the nafs inclines towards the dunya, but one of the ways that you prove your love to Allah is letting go of it. Mm-hmm. So that, that was just really profound how he, Imam al-Ghazali mentioned that.
So now, inshallah, we're going to be reading from the next book in the series, Ad-Da'watu Tamma. And we are on page 161 of the Arabic for those following along. So the complete summons and general reminder in English is the last paragraph on page 92. As for invalid transactions, the worst and most hateful is usury. For he who practices it exposes himself to war from God and his messenger. كما قال عز من قائل يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وذروا ما بقي من الربا إن كنتم مؤمنين فإن لم تفعلوا فأذنوا بحرب من الله ورسوله. As he says, August Bihi, O believers, fear Allah and abandon what is left of usury, if you are believers. If you do not, then prepare for war from Allah and His Messenger. وقال تعالى الذين يأكلون الربا لا يقومون إلا كما يقوم الذي يتخبطه يتخبطه الشيطان من المس إلى قوله تعالى يمحق الله الربا ويربي الصدقات والله لا يحب كل كفار أثيم. And he says, exalted be he, those who devour usury cannot rise up save as those whom the devil has maddened with his touch. But they say that usury is like commerce, but Allah has permitted commerce and forbidden usury. He that receives an admonition from his Lord and mends his ways may retain what he has gained in his affairs up to Allah to decide. As for those who relapse, they shall dwell in the fire to, to perpetuity. Allah obliterates usury and fructifies charity. And Allah likes not every guilty disbeliever. وقد لعن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم آكل الربا وموكله وكاتبه وشاهده. The Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم has cursed those who deal in usury, not only the giver and the taker, but also the scribe who records the transaction and the witness. وقال وقال عليه الصلاة والسلام الربا بضع وسبعون شعبة أدناها مثل أن يأتي الرجل he said, وسلم, usury is of 70 kinds, the least of which is as bad as one sleeping with his mother. Much has been said concerning the horrifying nature of usury, all of which is very well known. And when the Prophet wouldn't have said it like that unless that he wanted us to know how reprehensible and repulsive it is, the way that we just get repulsed at even thinking about that concept and passing over in our minds. That's how we should be at all forms of usury. And unfortunately, we live in the end of time. And our Prophet prophesied at this particular time that uh, everybody that would be that mixed in it, and if they're not directly involved with it, that it's that traces or it's dust would still touch it. Um, and so that doesn't open up the door for us. Oh, we live in a difficult time. So <coughs> um, all of our, you know, the money that we have in our pocket, the banking system and the credit cards that we use and everything else. So that means that we just kind of do whatever it is that we want and start buying homes and cars and all kinds of other stuff and not paying our credit card bills monthly. No, it doesn't mean that. Uh, we should do our very, very best to do what is right and to avoid usury at all costs. And alhamdulillah, increasingly, I can't remember if we were talking about this last time or not, 
there aren't more and more options you know for us to that buy a car where you can just make payments you know i remember the last car that we purchased that was you know it was a choice of two cars and one of them because it was just before the new models were about to come out mm-hmm. it was a five year that we didn't put any money down yeah. essentially it took the price of the car divided it by 60 yeah, months five years yeah. and that's what we pay a month yeah. and that's available so there's no reason to buy a car you might not get the exact model of what you're looking for and but you're safe you can, you're safe right student loans are a big issue you know even homes are an issue but increasingly alhamdulillah there are uh legal stratagems and heal with homes to kind of get out of that in our time so this is something that we have to take seriously though and Subhanallah, I think it's so amazing that this comes after the previous discussion of zakat. Mm. You know how, how both are related to your duties to Allah subhanahu wa taala, related to your your material wealth. And uh, you know, one of the things that I thought was so interesting, I'm not, I don't know the, the the details of the fiqh. I'm sure that you know, but where there's a will, there's a way. Muslims should consider these things of even student loans and people who are in debt being eligible to receive zakat and finding creative ways of helping people stay out of those situations. But if Muslims really prioritized it, they would come up with solutions. Absolutely. I mean, look at, like we were just talking about, we were just traveling recently, and in the context of like food. Um, look at all of the healthy food options now. Mm. Even in the airports. Like in the airports, <laughs> where that was, you know, Because there's a demand. Because there's a demand. And, you know, the consumer has a lot more that power than they think by the choice of what it is they choose that they buy. In a similar vein, just as you mentioned, were we to stick to our principles, there's people that want our money mm-hmm. and they would find ways to get it mm-hmm. and that fit our principles. Mm-hmm. And if we just stick to them, but like you said, if everyone, it's like halal meat. Yeah. If we just open up the door and just, oh, yeah. well, it's so hard to find. Yeah, and just, we'll never get know, taken just care get of. meat and they're from Ahl Kitab and say Bismillah over it which I've never felt comfortable with, and I can't understand how someone could do that when there's so many options now. Yeah. In Walmart, yeah. you have and stores all over the elevation country. Elevation burger. Right, you have Elevation <laughs> burger. You have, I remember there was, there was a, uh, a restaurant in Berkeley that just felt that halal meat was cleaner and better, that, that wasn't even Muslim-owned and was selling halal meat. Yeah. Costco, you yeah. have halal meat options. And if we just stick to our principles increasingly, so you'll find uh, more and more facilitation there. Yeah. Yeah. Edgewood dates and Whole Foods. And Whole Foods. <laughs> so I mean, it's yeah. really like people yeah. want to make money off this. And just think about it. It's a, you know, more than a billion Muslims in the world. If we stuck to what Allah wanted from us, nothing could. Allah would subjugate that other people to do things that would come back to benefit our deen. But if we're quick to just, you know, and I think this is the thing, right? In a country like the United States, it's so easy just to get a credit card. Yeah. And no one's going to, you feel like it's okay. Yeah. Because like other people are doing, even other Muslims might be doing it. Yeah. Oh, just buy a house, you know, with a mortgage. Just buy a second house with a mortgage. You know, just invest your money somewhere that has some type of haram way of that getting, uh, you know, proceeds from that money you've invested. And it's like, no one's saying anything, and sometimes Muslims are like scratching each other's backs. It seems like it's okay, and oh, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Yeah. Like once you learn your deen, it's like, no, it's a very serious thing. Look at what the Prophet just said. There's different types of it. The least 
of which this whole cenomenophia is like that heinous act. Um, so I, you know, may Allah wake up the, the hearts of Muslims to Ameen. really be aware of this and Ameen. to take this seriously, and um, to bless us to do our best to live right and to do what we can, which is what we. Okay. Yes. So we'll just uh, transition to the next book. So we'll read from Al-Fusul Al-Ilmiyah wa Al-Usul Al-Hikamiyah, which is knowledge and wisdom. And we're on page 64 of the Ihya Publishing uh, Publications Edition. Uh, edition. 81. Uh, first paragraph on page 81. <laughs> If, on the other hand, they are people of endings, then these things are to be understood as the consequence of being overcome by spiritual states so that their secrets are overwhelmed by lights and unveiling of mysteries. So this is in the context of balance, right? Like so that you find that there's extremely righteous people who have these amazing feats of not eating and not sleeping, and that's not the norm. They... Prophet is the one whom we follow, and his was a life of balance, but it's possible amazing things do happen to individuals, and we have to differentiate between who we follow, and that on one hand we don't say, that, oh, that's not from the sunnah, because that what they're doing is clearly permissible, and it's a blessing of Allah Ta'ala upon them, but at the same time, we don't follow them in that unless that be our particular state. المقتضيات البشرية ويصير إلى حالة تشبه حالة الملائكة الكرام أكثر الوجوه. At this point, the servant departs from the exigencies of his humanity and becomes, in most respects, more like the noble angels. ويكون ذلك في بعض الأوقات من غير من غير استمرار مطلقا. This state is not perpetual, for it occurs at times and not at others. And should be conceded to those it occurs to. Such states are beyond their control and should be considered norm-breaking karamat. An example is what has been related about Sheikh Sahil ibn Abdullah At-Tustari, rahimahullah, who used to eat only once every 15 days, and not at all during Ramadan. When Abi Ubaid al-Sibri, rahimahullah, and Okani that dakhla shahra Ramadan, yadkhulu fi bayti, wa yakmuru zawjidu an tusudda alihi al-baab, wa tatruk kuwata sagheer, tatruk, wa tatruk kuwatan sagheeratan, Another is uh, that of Abu Ubaid al-Busri, who during Ramadan entered his house and told his wife to bolt the door and leave a small opening through which she threw him a loaf of bread every night. They said that Busri, Alec? Busri. That's your said, okay. Sorry. No, no, I, uh, he might have done tahqiq, maybe there's another nuskhullah. فإذا خرج الشهر فتحت عليه الباب فتجد ثلاثين رغيفا في زاوية البيت. At the end of the month, she unlocked the door 
only to find 30 loaves stacked in one corner. Others have been said to eat once a year. When Sayyidina al-Qutb al-Muqaddam, Imam Muhammad Ali Ba'ali rahimahullah wa nafa'ana bih, anu makadha fi akhir umrihi nahwa al-arbat ashwal, lam yukul fiya ta'aman wa lam yashrab fiya sharaban. Others have been said to, and, and our master, the Qutb al-Muqaddam Muhammad bin Ali Ba'alawi, may Allah have mercy on him and grant people to benefit from him remained four months near the end of his life with neither food nor drink. On his last day, they forced some food into him, and when he felt it, he opened his eyes and said something like, Have you grown impatient with me? after which he passed away into the good pleasure of Allah the Exalted. There are many similar stories about both people of beginnings and people of endings. Their explanation is as we have stated above. However, they can be understood in more ways than one, all of which are acceptable and to be conceded to them. May Allah ca cause us to benefit from them. I think this is really important, especially with this tendency within our community to approach Islam and to see it as there's one monolithic way of being Muslim. I think uh, it's one of the things I really appreciate about the scholarship of Imam Haddad is he tends to approach everything he talks about from broadest perspective to show all of the different ways of understanding that particular thing and um, if you look at the sunnah look at the different ways look at the way that the prophet said made hijrah and the way that Sayyidina Umar made hijrah mm. Sayyidina Umar goes out publicly and announces it and says if anyone wants their mother or father to lose them then try to prevent me from making hijrah the best of creation who's better the prophet would be like it's the prophet that does it secretly and takes all the means, pays for everything himself, goes south instead of north, remains in the cave for three days, goes the opposite route until that he... That, and then during it, you have uh, what happens that, uh, with the one who was chasing him. Well, that's a breaking of the norm there. Why wasn't there breaking of the norm? Like, the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Sayyidina Omar, you can't say his hand is not correct. Mm, exactly. That's valid, because yeah. it's Sayyidina Omar. Yeah. And the Prophet said, allowed him to do And that. the Prophet didn't criticize him for that. Right? So, but at the same time, the Prophet showed us his sunnah in matters of that nature. This is what you do and so forth. So everything is put in mm. its uh, place. Sometimes I've heard people criticize and say, oh, you know, you shouldn't always be at the masjid and so forth. And maybe for the vast majority of people in a place like North America, we're living in the world of means and should. But in the time of the Prophet, there were Sahaba who worked in the marketplace, and then there were Ahl Sufa who were in the masjid. And the Prophet allowed for that, you know, that variety. Absolutely. Both of those people are, are on paths with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abu Dhar was a very, lived a very austere life. He was alone most of the time. And you have the Sayyidina Abdurrahman bin Awf, who was in Sayyidina Uthman, who were very wealthy. You had, so like, there's just such an array of different people, and I think it's so important that we um, put everything uh, in its proper place. And um, 
and understand that balance manifests in different ways in each person. Mm -hmm. And then when you spend time, this is one of the blessings of being in the Muslim world, and hopefully that we'll start to experience this here in these mm -hmm. lands. Mm -hmm. I remember in Mauritania, is that um, the vast majority of Mauritania is only two meals a day. Mm -hmm. Their breakfast was very simple, it was just like tea and some like just very simple biscuits. And then they have lunch and then they have dinner, which were also still simple. But then you would see like some of the advanced students, I witnessed with my own eyes. You know, those that have been with Marabat al-Hajj for 20 plus years and they would only eat one meal a day. Mm. I literally saw it with my own eyes. They would not eat anything else. Maybe they would drink milk and drink tea, but they wouldn't eat anything. One meal a day. Mm. And not even a large amount, small amount. And then it was as if, like with Marabat al-Hajj, days would pass. He would drink milk in the morning and in the evening, and days would pass without eating. And then he would eat a little bit, and then days would pass, and he'd eat a little bit. And I saw this with my own eyes. So this is totally within the realm of possibility. And Marab Hajj was not skinny; he was robust. Mashallah, tabarakallah. And you know that I guess they, I think they say in Morocco, like beware of a robust wali. Right? They're not eating a lot, but like, where is you know, the, the, the shape? coming from it because normally if you don't eat that you get really skinny um, and it's like subhanAllah Marab Ahmad I was just reading an obituary of his subhanAllah uh, he used to eat you know, a very small amount of food very seldomly these things are totally within the realm of possibility people that have lived in this time so what about in the pre-modern world what about in the early period now, these things are not far-fetched and Allah is and then it will return in the end of time mm, with the people with the man with the, yeah exactly that their food is tasbihat and subhanallah alhamdulillah and I think for a lot of people like if you're hearing about these types of karamat for the first time one of the things that all the ulama are in agreement on is following the sharia like if someone does something that is a breaking of the norm extraordinary miraculous the only way that we really accept that that's something that's pleasing to Allah if the person follows the Sharia. Mm -hmm. And if someone's doing something that's contradicting to that, then we realize that there's also other forms of breaking the norms like the Dajjal or someone can like read your thoughts or uh, and those people, you know, we don't we don't pay any attention to them. It really goes back to Salah. <clears throat> so the chapter we're taking today in the class we have after Salat al-Duha today. Mm -hmm is on the uh, miracles of the Prophet and they tend to, so I, I just literally, awesome. right before we came in here, was reviewing that, like the different aqsam and divisions of breaking of the norms, exactly as you mentioned, and, uh, is uh, different distances. When you, when you get into the books of, of the scholars, you find is that they prepare you to understand <coughs> existence as it is, and you can confidently interact with people at all different levels. And the more knowledge that you seek uh, of our tradition, the more that you can carry on conversations with people from all different backgrounds. And the blessing of the scholarly chains of transmission. Of course, there's always work to be done in every generation that uh, relates to scholarship, but uh, mashallah. We are now reading from Risalat al Mu'awana, uh, page 124 of the Arabic. This is the Book of Assistance, and we are, it looks like, towards the bottom of page 82. 
عنا رضي الله عنه وانفعنا الله به وقال صلوات الله وسلامه عليه والذي نفسي بيده لتأمرن بالمعروف ولا تنهغن عن المنكر أو لا يشوكن لا يوشكن الله أن يبعث عليكم عقابا منه ثم تدعونه فلا يستجيب لكم The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said By the one in whose hand lies my soul You will enjoin good and forbid evil Or Allah will send his punishment upon you Whereupon you will pray and not be answered وقال عليه الصلاة والسلام ليس منا من لم يرحم صغيرنا ويوقر كبيرنا ويأمر بالمعروف وينهى عن المنكر And he said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam The one who is not compassionate to our young and respectful to our elders and one who does not enjoin good and forbid evil is not one of us وعلم أن الأمر بالمعروف والنهي عن المنكر فرض كفاية إذا قام به البعض سقط الحرج عن الباقين Know that enjoining good and forbidding evil is a collective obligation a fard kifayim which if discharged by some is not incumbent upon the rest واختص الثواب القائمين به and the reward being proper to those who discharged it. وإذا لم يقم به أحد عم الحرج كافة العالمين العالمين به العالمين به القادرين على إزالته. If no one does it, everyone who is aware of it and able to act is held responsible. والواجب عليك إذا رأيت من يترك معروفا أو يفعل منكرا أن تعرفه بكون ذلك معروفا أو منكرا. Your duty when you see someone neglecting an act of goodness or committing an act of evil is to make him aware of the good or evil nature of the act as the case may be. If he does not respond, you must counsel and put fear into him. If he does not respond, you must counsel and put fear into him. If he is still not rebuked, then you must coerce him, even beat him, and compel him to stop the evil he is engaged in, and break the forbidden instruments of distraction, pour away the wine, and restore illicit money. That's right for owners. We're going to clarify who that's for, though. This last degree is only for those who have either dedicated themselves wholly to Allah or are authorized delegates of the ruler. The first two degrees, which are the appraisal of things as good or evil and counseling, are only neglected by confused, ignorant people or scholars who are inadequate. And what is clear here from what he's saying is that you always begin uh, with gentleness. You don't move to a firmer response and lest that you feel that uh, gentleness won't work or you've tried it and it doesn't work and you have to move to a firmer response. And then I think you also have to take into consideration that all times differ. Mm-hmm. And so Imam Haddad is speaking in the context of a very traditional society that had a Muslim ruler and they were able to do things because of that ruler and sometimes working alongside of the rulers to help better the society that might be difficult for people that live as minorities in the 
uh, lands where there is not Muslim rule. Um, and then also, too, if you look at the, like our time, for instance, is that our time is a time where I think that you need to be exceedingly merciful. Just because it's such a difficult time. Mm. And this is what I've seen from, from our teachers. And they differentiate, especially like if you see them traveling as opposed to in their hometown with the full-time students that have been studying for several years. That's a little bit different. There's a little bit more pressure on them. There's a little bit more strictness. Higher standard. The yeah. higher standard that's there. Yeah. But when they travel, they're exceedingly merciful. And I've heard our teachers ask things and give them responses that if you would tell people those responses, they might even put them into question because they're so merciful. And they just want people to do a little bit better. Want people to just do a little bit more and rectify themselves. Because if you come down hard on people that are already struggling, they're going right. to throw in the towel. Yeah. Right. And one of the most, you know, Subhan, I remember uh, she comes and mentioned that it was like the best book he ever read, which is a, a very <laughs> amazing statement because yeah. how many books has Mashallah by Imam al Mawak? Essentially, he talks about the nine stations of religion and takes it all from a verse in the Quran. Um, but his whole point is, is that to break down how all nine of these stations, they're all Muslim, but nine is the highest of all. And these are the people that are the foremost in all good. And then the lowest station is someone who is a believer, but there's no limits to the amount of wrong that they do. Mm. And then there's stages in between. And the whole point is, you speak to the person at stage nine differently than you speak to the person at stage seven. You speak to the person at stage four differently than you speak to the person at stage two. And you can't always get the person from stage one up to stage four overnight. Mm. You meet them where they're at, you try to get them to two. You try to get the people in stage two to stage three. And so it really is an incredibly helpful book. It, it's a book that's really worth translating. Uh, we did something on it on the retreat. Oh, do we have the recordings on it? From a few retreats ago. I don't think we do. Really. I, I know it was before my time here, so I'm not sure what the. Uh... Yeah, we did. I, we did. Uh, we did that in one of the retreats. We talked about the stations. I just don't know what happened to those recordings, or if we even did record it. I guess that was before, and that we weren't live streaming previously. I don't think so. Yeah, at that time. We might not have been recording. Yeah. Which is actually nice not to record because you can actually <laughs> relax a little bit and not be worried about everything you say and be held against you 20 years later when you hear yourself like, oh my goodness, what was I saying? Um, but to that point, subhanAllah, um, you know, I, I grew up in a time where, you know, the entire understanding of Amr bin Ma'ruf and Nahyan al Munkar was like, come down hard. And if you don't come down hard, you're not really about it, you know. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَدْعُوا إِلَى سَبِيلِ رَبِّكَ بِالْحِكْمَةِ وَالْمَوْعِضَةِ الْحَسَنَةِ وَجَادِلُ مِلَتِي أَحْسَنَةِ A call to the way of your Lord with wisdom. And a, a good reminder, a beautiful reminder. And debate with them and speak with them in a way that's even better. So one of the things that comes to my mind in these kinds of conversations is having that wisdom to think about what's most effective. It's not about telling the person like Kalimatul Haq and that's it. Yeah. Like how do you help them? Beautiful. Because the point is to change it. Yeah. Not just to Exactly. Like I'm just keeping it real. Yeah. No, what about that person? You want to help them. Yeah. Yeah. And so many people are not happy with what they're doing. 
like they want to do better. Yeah. Like they're doing wrong, but they're yeah. just like deep down inside, they're broken and they want to do better. Uh, for listening, uh, that brings us to a close for our uh, readings from Imam Al-Haddad for the Heartsmith podcast. Inshallah, we look forward to the next time that we're able to come together and read from these blessed works. Thank you for listening to one of Al-Maqasid's online educational offerings. Our mission at Al-Maqasid is to cultivate holistic learning environments rooted in knowledge, devotion, and service by providing full-time, part-time, online, and community programs. For more information, please visit our website at almaqasid.org and connect with our other online content at almaqasid.org backslash connect.